0: Season 2, Episode 9 of the Board Game Gambit Podcast, Modern Classics. Today we're going to be talking about what is replacing those things on your shelf, like life or Monopoly. What are the modern hobby equivalents? Our in-depth game review is going to be Five Tribes, and joining you as always is me, Nathan. And I'm
1: Jackie. Welcome, everyone. So, how have you been doing? Good, good. May was... uh low intensity playing month, but for good reasons, we finally were able to, to get around, we escaped to Maine for a wonderful weekend to celebrate our anniversary. So it was, it was fun. Congratulations. How long? Uh, we were there three nights, two nights. So three days, uh, in mid Maine was beautiful weather, great lobsters. It was, it was a fantastic. (laughs) Three days, but we only played Love Letter, um, around <laughs> because it's it's quick and and fast. We we got a new gaming companion. I discovered that it was a a or uh, two roads down down the street. Oh, That's funny, At, and it's interesting. Yeah, in the mid midst of of South County, Rhode Island, and so we and it's interesting to see because his this new friend Joe is really passionate about games, but he, is, he has been playing them for a shorter period of time. So there are some older titles that he hadn't had the chance to to play that for me is something new. Usually I feel like I, I play new games, but now some of them are over a decade long uh, or a decade old. And so mm-hmm. there are some that, oh, I guess you're right. That's, that's an old title that some people might have heard of and not tried like what Uh, we played kingsburg for example and uh, okay and blood rage Uh, i mean blood rage is not as old but still is now what seven years old uh six and so i keep thinking of that like oh yeah it's one of the new games well new you wouldn't say it of a movie if it's six year old Mm -hmm. so that's interesting how have you been good my store is wrapping up giving the last of the vaccine
0: that we have in stock with no real plans to
1: get more because there is not demand or just because there are no supplies both okay because
0: we were struggling to
1: get rid of the doses
0: that we had which we only got a hundred the Moderna and we got the J&J so we are at the very tip tippy tip of (laughs) Massachusetts so it was a hike for some people some people drove quite a bit to come get vaccine because it's still
1: for those who want it it's still not too easily accessible but here in Rhode Island they opened it up there are more appointments than than people taking it and they finally started lifting restrictions on masks around in in places if you're vaccinated and so today here too Great. Let's hope that translates in, in board gaming conventions. Uh, <laughs> again. So what have you played or what have we played? Some of them we played together still, I think.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. So
1: recently I've played
0: Cryo. Mm-hmm. How was it? I really liked it. I thought that the mechanism by which the game ends is a little weird, but I think it's weird to me only because I didn't really wrap my head around it because so you have three work. It's a worker placement. You have three workers that are these little drone ships that you put out onto the board and on their spaces, they get one of four actions that they touch. And it's, you have your choices between like taking the tile that's on around the space for the immediate resources Or you can put it into a tableau that when you return your workers, they give you a benefit. If you pay a cost, you creating that equation for yourself. Or there are things that are just like, you can take these actions. And I really underestimated how many times I would be recalling all my workers. So I didn't really make a tableau. I made... Um, like two spots, but I had three workers. And so every time I was recalling them, it felt really inefficient because the third one just kind of just came back and did nothing. Uh, so that was my fault. <laughs> it was a a very interesting game because it has the multi-use cards, which I love. Um, they can be used for missions or they can be used for upgrades or they can be used as ships to deploy the people So basically cryo, you're trying to get all of your pods from this like exploded ship pods of people that are like frozen maybe in the Mm -hmm. pods and you have to pick them up and take them underground because otherwise the surface of the planet is not inhabitable. So then you are just racing against this like clock that is an indeterminate number of rounds and it was fun i really enjoyed it i think it has a lot of room for some really good strategy really good choices to be made because of the multipurpose cards and then different sections are are different um, spaces are going to be blocked off so that there's variability in the setup so i liked it i think it was it was good i lost but it was still good
1: <laughs> so i know it's not by him, by him, the art is not by Tool, but I think he's making school, he's making waves because the this busy but very readable background um, yes. with pastel colors that reads very Ianotuli, yes, um, even if it's not.
0: Yep, he's making his mark on the industry to make it that yeah,
1: they're very like vibrant colors. And very elaborate backgrounds, but you still can very much understand and see what, what's what. Yep. It looks interesting. I'm a little skeptical because the, the game is by Tom Jolly and Luke Lory. Mm-hmm. And Luke Lory is a very successful designer that didn't resonate much with me either um, Manhattan Project or Dwellings of Elder Vale. Neither of them work f- for me. But particularly, I'm worried about Tom Jolly because he, he, we are on completely different wavelengths. Uh, almost nothing he has done has uh, worked for me, with the exception maybe of this course, but even that wasn't too good for me. Uh, it was just fine. To be fair, though, all of these games that I mentioned uh, contain an element of fighting and things like that that this doesn't seem to have. So it does have
0: an area control element. And that's
1: different though, right? Yeah. But I'm
0: like, that's the one like player interaction besides
1: the obvious of the worker placement. Like Weeds War is a very popular game that I don't I don't understand. Um, and that's <laughs> on Jolly as well. Um one that I got to to play that is uh, new was a Tiny Epic Pirates. Um, so the Tiny Epic series for me is uh, interesting. First of all, because they don't seem to... Beside the fact that they're Tiny and Epic and things like that, they don't seem to have a union, something that makes them similar. They have maps that are built out of cards when they have a map, but that's more of a physical constraint of being uh, forced into these little boxes. The first few ones add... This I choose you follow mechanic or the the, the actions that were slowly diminishing. But in the recent work, it hasn't been there. Um, And so everyone, you go in and you see what, what you find. Tiny Epic Dinosaurs was basically a worker placement and spatial relationship game. Tiny Epic Pirates is you move on a map and you have a few very simple actions that you take on a rondelle and the rondelle is different for everyone the the actions are the same but the order is different you pay if you want to move more than one space and uh, the actions resolution are mostly determined with low randomness for example you can explore which means you flip a token but all of the tokens are positive or you plunder which means you take cubes from a bag but all of the cubes can be sold things like that so there is randomness but it's not a a randomness of will i succeed or not the only action that uh, as that thing is if you attack another ship and it's it's a race game um and it worked much better than i than i expected by reading the rules reading the rules is felt a little boring long while uh every turn you do something significant so that uh, for example there are crew members that you can recruit that uh, allow you to improve and increase the scope of your actions that you can take but deciding to take one is is a turn and that's an important timing issue we played it only with two players and i can see with three players be, or four players being more interactive more dynamic but mm-hmm. even with two while we didn't step on each other's toes much there was definitely a sense of i have to keep an eye on how the other person is doing to understand how much i can push my luck or how much i can take it slow and and make sure that i cover my bases before taking one action or another uh it's it's fun it plays in 45 minutes it has an expansion that i haven't tried i was uh, really really happy with it and as usual with uh, the the Tiny Epic Games, not only they tend to be bigger than the box, so to speak, but also bigger than their playtime. One thing that people don't mention often is that it's not just that you get a bigger a sense of a bigger game in, uh, what is it, nine by four box, but also that you get the feeling in this case of a larger race game or in uh, Tiny Epic Dinosaurs of a worker placement game in 45 50 minutes and i do appreciate that on top of the fact that obviously i can carry them uh, when i go somewhere on a plane Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah i was looking into backing that when it first when it was on
0: kickstarter but it i don't know it just something didn't didn't click all the way for me and you know me i'm not very shy (laughs) when it comes to backing kickstarters but it was just like I don't know what it was. It just didn't... I don't know. I'd be happy to play it because um, there were definitely some components that I thought were interesting, but it was just like, and what else? Like, that's what I felt like. And then what? As far as, like, gameplay when I was watching, like, the videos on it. But, yeah, I'd be happy to play it, so...
1: What else have you explored?
0: Uh, so, Scythe. And I groan because I played with the encounters expansion have you heard of it nope don't hear of it (laughs) okay
1: i I won't listen
0: don't yeah don't listen so basically the encounters expansion is some fan-made encounters so they are put on like regular real cards so they're like produced but they're ridiculously overpowered because, mm-hmm. you know, in like the base game, it's like you flip a card and it's like, oh, you f- you are going to get a mech. Pay, you know, pay $4 and put a mech out. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. That's so cool. This one's like get a mech for free.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is like, what? <laughs> and then combine that with the fact that my opponent was playing. So we decided to play with this in the very beginning. And then we... We drafted all of the, the things or whatever. Not drafted. We just flipped over random ones. And um, he gets the faction that lets you get two of the options on the encounter cards. Polonia. Yeah. Polania. Yeah. And so you combine the ridiculously overpowered <laughs> cards with the fact that he's getting two of the options. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Like it was really bad. It was really painful for me. I it after maybe like the fifth turn where I was like, okay, I'm doing good. I got stuff going. I uh, you know my engines going, and then all of a sudden he started collecting the encounter cards, and I was like, oh, that's how this is gonna go. So, uh yeah. It I would n- never, 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 ever, ever, ever play with the encounters expansion again because it. Like, I think that's the reason why I like Scythe so much is that it's so balanced. And even though things are, you know, they're very different or they're very, you know, the boards are different. They're all, they all have this little bit of asymmetry. Everything feels, nothing feels like completely out of the water. Like, you're not going, oh, well, that's game breaking. That's game breaking. And that's what I was saying the whole time. I was like, that's, that's what, what, what. Like one of one of the cards that he found, let him get draw two encounter cards, and then use one at the beginning of each of your next two turns. So,
1: so he went from one to three, or to four, or five, whatever. six. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> six things that he would got to do because he had the the Polonia. Also, so I was like, okay,
1: <laughs> but yeah. To be fair, I don't love side with two players that much uh, partially because a small mistake or vice versa a lucky break break even on the regular encounter cards can mm-hmm. can spin it very quickly um and you feel you're left behind it's it's strange the very concept of the expansion is strange because it is a fan expansion but uh sanctioned right is not like a print and play or something it's something that has been published i was looking yep. at it by my game, game, but with a game that has so much content and of which the balance has been the main topic since it came out. People who play it a lot already feel there are some imbalances that I haven't realized because I haven't played it enough to, to throw in all of these... Uh, Incredible ideas from from the fans seems seems like a step too far. I must say that with Sight in general, I am content with the content that I own. It's a game that I really really like. I, it was one of the first game that I um, kick started. It was uh, an excellent uh, discovery. It has been played regularly at the, at my house. Um, yeah. I really like it. We got the Invaders from Afar expansion very early, and I like that too. And then I never felt the need for more. I know that there are the Airships, There is the, the which is the Wind's Gambit expansion. There are the Horizon Fenrir, that is the campaign with all of mm-hmm. the modules. But since it's still a game that I play regularly but i i wouldn't play it i don't know four times in a week or anything like that or back to back like other people do i never felt the need to add even more because between the asymmetry between the faction the asymmetry between the uh, mats that you connect with the faction so in, in each game you have a faction which is your nation and that has a very distinctive special power and then you have a technology mat basically which is less different or more nuanced differences, but they can be very important. They all have the same actions, but with different costs. So already between the pairing of those two, especially when the factions are now seven uh, with the with the first expansion, I feel like I have more than enough to explore without the need to all of these other bells and whistles. Although I must say, the airships look very, very cool yeah. on, on the board, so there is that. Another one that I wanted to, to talk with you was uh, Beyond the Sun. Oh, okay. So I have been thinking about the game, and there are some things that I really liked in retrospect. So my experience with the game was not particularly satisfying. The, the <laughs> My end result was good, but it was uninteresting to me and i i was trying to wrap my head around why Uh, because so beyond the sun is basically a tech tree made into a game it's something that is very common in in uh, 4x games in exploration games in which you have technologies and you have to develop a technology to then develop another one and uh, so forth and so on and they are increasingly powerful and you do that so there were some contingent problems that i i didn't like for example the fact that they decided to abstract the tech tree from these kind of games but then felt the need to still include a little map that was to me more distracting than anything else Mm -hmm. but i think the main problem i had with the uh, with the game is that The beauty of technology in games, of Technology trees is usually that you can build to develop a certain thing. You know that you will go from writing to library, and from library to workshop, and from workshop to tank factory, something like that. While in um, Beyond the Sun something that happens is that when you develop a new technology which is often expensive competitive not easily accessible you get to pick among two that share the color of the one you are on but the exact details can be very different from one to the other and so i felt that that was a very determining element in a game that i felt would have been better served by a quasi deterministic development. It reminded me of Progress, a game that got much less of a splash a few years ago, that had the same idea. It was less less science fiction-y, but still the development of Attack 3. And while that didn't convince me fully, I rated it at 6.75, I think I still prefer that. I don't remember the details. I remember that the end game was less than exciting. But I must say that that's true also of Beyond the Sun, because it ends when you have achieved a certain amount of achievements. And when you develop a technology in a game that is about something, say, even just getting the factory card in Scythe or placing your max out in a very small technology tree or when in a game like twilight imperium you get your stealth fighter or something like that you have an effect that is exciting and clear and connected to what you're doing while here is okay i got some kind of weapon therefore i can make my ships a little bigger i got some kind of research so things cost a little less But with the fact that everything is abstracted, even the advantages become abstraction on abstractions. And so I felt that sense of technological discovery, which is supposed to be at the core of this kind of mechanisms.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have played Beyond the Sun a lot because it is one that has been on Board Game Arena for a while now in beta and uh, now the full game. I think it's already been released as the full game but um anyway I I really like it. I think it's fun to me to to find the different tech trees and it c- comes back to a little bit of like paleo, where you like you know kind of what it's going to be but you don't know exactly what it's going to be and I can get how that could be frustrating in like a euro setting but for me that's what makes it enjoyable like i think it's it's fun because people can plan and plan and plan for a certain type of thing but you're not guaranteed to get that i think you might actually like the the expand the not the expansion the advanced variant where you get the little market of the different texts out in a, a grid and i think that might fix some of the problem for you is that the main issue that you have with it or do you think that you're just not thrilled to play it again.
1: I think it's both, meaning that's definitely the main the main element of something that I disliked, but as I was saying, it's also the development was not particularly luring to me, even if I had been able to choose. For example, I have a, an incredibly hard time remembering any of the technologies that myself or someone else developed. Because they, they mean absolutely nothing. There are, I think there was something with lasers. <laughs> but it's not like, oh, with lasers, you can go through armor. Or with lasers, you need to power them up with this mm-hmm. rare mi- min- mineral. Lasers are another way of fighting. And tanks are another way of fighting or whatever. And so it's a game that decides to have this futuristic theme, etc. And the theme completely breaks breaks down for me. So... Nah, it's a pass for me. Well, we'll just have to disagree then. (laughs) That is a pass for me? You don't don't agree that it is a pass for me? (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's all I've got. Me too.
0: So why don't we move on? So we would like to extend our congratulations to the Instagram account of The Game Table for winning our first ever drawing and they've already received it it looks like they've unboxed it so you can go ahead and check out their instagram it's the game table and uh they tagged us in their their little post on it so congratulations we're excited that you received it and we hope that you enjoy the game offshore moving on we are talking today about the Bruno Cathala game of Five Tribes, the Jins of Nakala from uh, artist Clement uh,
1: Masson from Days of Wonder. So first of all, I had no memory of the subtitle. Um, <laughs> I, I knew that the, the, the expansions were called the thieves of that and the merchants of that and the artisan of something else, but I had no, no memory. So five tribes has been correctly described as a mancala game. It has also been described as a reverse worker placement, a worker removal. Uh, I think more in a fancy, catchy phrase than than in in how it works. from five tribes, there is a grid in the basic game. I think it's thirty tiles, a six by five grid of tiles that are um, slightly different. There are four or five types that repeat through the game, but they also have different amount of points, and they can be red or blue tiles. On top of those, there are uh, three meeples randomly placed at the beginning of the game, and the meeples come from one or more of the five colors of meeples that are present in the game, the five tribes of the title. On your turn, you pick all of the meeples that are on a tile, and you drop one on an orthogonally adjacent tile, one on an orthogonally next adjacent tile, and so forth and so on until you land somewhere. The color of the meeple that you land on the last tile determines the actions that you will take. You pick up that meeple and any other meeple of the same color on that tile, and you resolve an action that is stronger the more meeples you have. Some meeples, uh, you collect them for points at the end of the game. The yellow, the viziers, uh, the elders, the white meeples, you collect them. There are also points at the end of the game, but they're not majority-based like the yellow ones. And you can use them in another way. The green ones collect you cards, that is a set collection the reds allow you to eliminate uh, meeples either on the board or in front of other people, and blues you collect immediate points from the position on the board. That's where those blue tiles come into play. However, you also activate the tile where you land. It can be something that relates with the tile and make the tile more valuable with palaces or trees, or depending on which tile you, you land on. Uh, and sometimes give things to you. There is a market where you buy cards that combine with the one you get from the green meeple to to get more points in a set collection way, or there are tiles where you can spend those uh, white meeples, the elders, to collect genies, which are ongoing powers and additional points and things like that. The other thing that you want to care about is that if you manage to empty a tile, either because all of the meeples in the tile are of the same color of the one you are placing, or because you kill a meeple with your assassin, the red meeples, you collect extra points by taking control of of that tile. And this is, I feel, obviously a quick summary, but a good idea of what the game is about. And the feeling that I get from it, and I wanted to to see if you you agreed, is that while there is a lot of little planning and a lot of things that can happen, one of the main concerns is not so much or only what you can do, but how any move you make immediately opens and changes up uh, the options for the players after you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's
0: difficult sometimes to play this game with newer people just because they don't immediately see that they don't see that. Oh, my turn will open up something for the next person. And it's kind of like an extra step of thinking because you not only have to care for what you're doing and how you're moving it, but you're also caring about what am I leaving behind on this tile? What am I, you know, if I pass through this tile, Is it, how significant of a difference is it if I pass through this tile? Because there's multiple paths that you can take to get to the same end tile, but you have to, like, look and make sure that you're, it it doesn't have to be, you know, the best, most, you know, it's not an AP moment where you have to say, okay, well, I have to have everything messed up for you. (laughs) But it does, does need to be, I'm not glaringly leaving a tile with like four yellows on it for you to come and get.
1: Yeah, and often is just a matter of, oh, okay, if, if there are a lot of yellows here, I, the, the token I believe will be blue and they will drop the yellow elsewhere. Yep. Um, among the many things that I like about this game, but what do you think the, the main hook is? So you when you try to... Not to explain the game to someone, but to entice them to play. What what would you say is is the main draw, the main thing about, uh, about Five Tribes?
0: I think it's that it's a very complex game with simple choices. I think that that is what really draws me back to it. Because you have basically these limitless options in the beginning. The first person to go is always (laughs) agonizing over their first turn because it's it it could be anything you could go anywhere i mean obviously you still need to follow the movement and the placement and the and dropping the meeples but it's so open and sandboxy in the very very first couple turns of the game because you have so many options. So it's like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And, and then you're like, okay, well, what do I want to focus on? And then you, you know, break it down from there. But I think that, you know, like you said, it's the, the mancala style movement. And uh, so that it, people understand that you say, okay, you're picking all these up. Then you drop them off one at a time. And then you pick up all of the same color. And that's super simple. Like, yep. That's basically the, the core function of the game. Yes. Yes each color that you you take is something different but that's that's it that's all you do
1: i agree i think that that openness is um, significant and also that since you always do something so even if at the end as you were saying especially for new players you can see vastly different scores you can get doubled in points something that Mm -hmm. but at the same time while you're doing things and maybe you're not considering the implication of the set collection or for example you pay coins to to do things to gather cards or you even pay coins to determine turn order it might be that in the end you overspent and you don't win the game but Each action rewards you, right? It feels like you always have something interesting to do. And often the choice is not between doing nothing and doing little is between doing two or three things that could give you points that are interesting. So there is always this sense of accomplishment. Certainly, if I do an action and I get nine points and then I open up an action, someone else does 17, I don't feel that good, but at least I did something. Mm. I don't get stopped and you you were absolutely right that the openness decreases uh, throughout the game because the, every time you do these actions, you remove the meeples. And so the, the map becomes scarcer and scarcer in options. But down to the very last round, there are usually three, four options. But each of those options can be activated slightly differently. Mm-hmm. So down to almost the last action, there is more than one option. I think that's, that's indeed the, the main draw of the game one where i think we will probably have a lot of agreement is theme and components so the components i think are stellar for this game Mm -hmm. it's from the golden age of days of wonders where every game they put out was uh, a piece of art it has uh, custom shaped wooden meeples for (laughs) the meeples are standard but then there are Palms and palaces and camels that you place to claim uh, a land. And that continues into the expansion with mountains and uh, other various tokens. The, the tiles are sturdy and nice. The, the illustrations of the desert are clear enough, but still very evocative. Yep. The genie, I guess they have very beautiful art, although I'd never stop at looking at them. The The market is clear. I think that the components are excellent. Uh, the color choices are vibrant. You can have orange and teal and pink and black, and I really like. I really like that theme. I feel it's not as strong, but it's fine. Yeah. At the end, it, it is a euro game, right? A, a, a light family ori- well, like a family oriented <laughs> euro game, but still what you're doing is collecting points. And you're collecting points in various ways that don't necessarily make always sense. Why do you spend your elders to get a genie? Or why do you collect points for blue blue meeples? I mean, the theme works. Uh, the theme helps remembering, for example, this idea of the different color tribes that do different things. It's very good to service the game. Obviously, it's not... Uh, a game in which I I feel like I am what interacting with different tribes because the tribes are not the players' tribes, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the team is serviceable, is it, good, is solid. What what do you feel about components and teams? So
0: components, I agree. The wooden maples are amazing. the The palms and the the palaces and all those are just so enjoyable to see out on the board as you you're building them and uh i really like those and the camel meeples are awesome so i really like that the theme i agree with you completely i think that it i mean it could just as easily be anything else it could be space it could be the five alien tribes And they could be going from planet to planet around and nothing would change.
1: No rule. You would need to change no rule at all. Uh, Yeah. You could port it and just (laughs) call the camels spaceships and be it.
0: Yeah. So I feel like that's, I think the, the thing that they're trying to latch the theme onto are the is this little subtitle, which is the, the gins? So it's trying to make it like the different genies. So that way you have the different powers. So I feel like that's where they tried to really like center their, <laughs> their theme. But again, I don't, it could be anything really.
1: Also, because you can very much play an entire game and do very well without getting any genie. Uh, and but I love the genies. It. Oh, I like them too. But <laughs> sometimes if people are going for the white meeples, he said, well, I'll go market or I will mm-hmm. go blue. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and they have a lot of powers. I feel they are a very good example of balance because the ones that are more powerful require you to keep spending stuff on mm-hmm. them. Um, so yeah, I can see that.
0: Oh, wait, one more thing though. The, we probably should talk about the the like change that they made.
1: Oh yeah, that's fair enough, and that's
0: definitely in theme. It's a theme part, yeah. I don't remember what they were called originally. The slaves. So they were called slaves.
1: Yes. So in the first printing of the game. So in the market I mentioned that you collect card to do set collection. Among the cards that you really want, the the gold and the core or the, the the gems or whatever mm-hmm. it is, you are collecting, trying to collect different sets, and some cards are more are rarer than others. For example, Ivory, I think, is the the rarest. There are only two copies. While Fish, there are nine copies in the deck. And so you're trying to get them, and it's an interesting system because you always collect from the front of the row, and depending on how you're collecting, you can go a certain amount of steps deep into the row. Among these cards are also uh, Slaves. There are cards that are not valued money uh, they are not worth money to you um that you cannot cash them in for points like you do with the other cards but they are used to activate other abilities in the game they support for example the elders uh, when buying genie while when activating genies uh you can use them with the blue meeples to make more points and when they came out, and when Five Tribes became very successful, there was a, some, some pushback about that. Interestingly enough, it is to be noticed that, given the historical or quasi-historical inspiration of the game, the, the slaves are light-skinned, uh, because that was uh, a thing in, in the Middle East, at the time, and that drew both defenses, meaning well, it's not uh, a light take on 19th century slavery, mm-hmm. but also vice versa, sense of uh, diminishing, right? You, you're not even acknowledging the, the very recent reality of slavery, especially in the US. And so there was a lot of backlash, and in future editions, they are replaced by fake ears, which, which I must say makes the theme a little strange because you are buying fakers at the market and then spending them and trading them away, which is uh, to me a strange solution because you are still buying and trading people and you're just calling them another name. I wish they had gone with some kind of non-human at that point. Mm-hmm. I must say, while I don't I don't think that concerns like this are to be dismissed, right? I don't think that the, well, it's just a game is a good defense. Right. I was in this specific case, not particularly troubled. I think my addition still has the slaves. I am not sure I would have to check, but that was something that, um, it was, I think one of the first big, big level, big scope cases to break. Um, it was, uh. The first game that was actively criticized and where there was a reaction from the publisher and things like that—things that are now way more common—and I think that while, as I said, the the fakier solution might have been a little weak, at least it showed that uh, Days of Wonders tried to to address it. They didn't go to extremes like, "Oh, we are retiring the game," and right, um, but they they tried, and they that shows. Commitment, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't
0: think the way that it was done in the game was like disrespectful or meant to be disrespectful, but I do see the problematic nature of buying people. So, I mean, I see both sides of it, and I agree that it would have just been easier to go with something that was completely different like i don't get why replacing a person with another person where you're buying the person made a change but i guess maybe because now you're buying their help i guess i don't know it that that made it more appropriate i i agree i think it should have just been like a helper card like a genie wisp or something like a a lesser genie that you just bought from the market maybe (laughs) i don't know um but yeah i just wanted to make sure that we address that
1: yeah no that and i think that's that's uh, has been one of the things that has kept people even talking about it and how how important it has been so for pace and arc how do you feel about that?
0: So I like the pace because I feel like the turns are never super long. Because like we said, they're just the Mancala style action. Sometimes it does take a minute to see what you want to do. You know what you want to do, but you need to figure out how to get the meeples that are left on the board to that spot. So that can sometimes be a little bit, bit of a, a slowdown. Um, I do find, though, that because of the nature of the game, you really can't plan your turn ahead, especially if you're playing with more than one person, (laughs) because two people taking their turns could completely change and take away your action that you're thinking of doing or add a new action that you didn't even realize was possible. So I feel like that is a little bit stalling sometimes. And the arc is, I would say it's middle of the road for me. It's not game that changes. You're doing the same action the whole time. So it's not that you're building up an engine or you're building up, you know, different kinds of things. You're still taking the same core actions. So the arc is just okay. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it lags though. Like it doesn't feel like it's like, like, Oh, I want this to be over. Like it, it, It's just kind of okay for me. How about you?
1: I I agree, actually. I think I am a little harsher on it than you are. It's probably the only game of the ones we have discussed in depth that I like despite its pace and arc. (laughs) Because not only I agree with you on the arc, that is not particularly exciting. Actually, your options shrink. And sometimes the last round is, well, I guess I'll take this because it's the one action that can be taken. Mm. But even the pace for me, it's often a matter of, oh wait, now I have to recalculate, or oh wait, someone else has to do it. And often you do it twice in a round because first you're trying to determine it when you're bidding for turn order. And then if you're not first, you have to redetermine it again when you have when it's actually your turn. Um, and I must say that the analysis paralysis creeps in more often than not. Um I I guess if people were playing it a lot, that would go away, but I still like it quite a bit. And uh, it's a game where I noticed that uh, we, with the people I play with the most, uh, it's, we just give up on trying to be quick and on pace on this. We we chat and we wait for the person to take their action. And sometimes the person goes, oh, I know, I know, I'm know. sorry, I'm taking very long, and it <laughs> happens to everyone. It's, but I still like it. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't say that, oh, if you want an inspiration for our game it should be paced and quick and uh, dynamic uh, look at at uh, five tribes. So uh, this said, despite the fact that things change, I think that uh, the well, the replayability is, enormous because everything changes without changing a single rule Mm -hmm. but every game will be drastically different Mm -hmm. and even if you add the same exact map two moves in the games are different so I find it's incredibly replayable and I will fight anyone who says differently (laughs) I think I think this is as as close to objective as something like this can can get to right there is no way that you can have two games of this that are even close to each other. Right. Um, strategy wise, it's a little bit strange because I feel like you cannot reliably go for a strategy because things change and you need to pivot and try to take the best option. And I think that people who decide to go for a strategy usually don't do very well. Like If you decide that you want the market, regardless of the board state. You're going to spend a lot of money or getting few cards and spending a lot of action for fewer points. And if you have decided that you're not focusing on blue meeples and you leave 18 points move because you are focusing on something else, that's also very punishing. Mm -hmm. So while it is technically possible to stick to your strategy and going for it, I think that the game does not reward it. I think the game is... uh, very tactical yes. and not really in your tactics you have to consider what you've done before so there is a, well the more of this I have the more I gain but you cannot decide well I will be the genie person um, I don't think that works and the genies also reflect that meaning that they give you bonuses for so many different things that you have to, to make it work with what you have yeah I agree with
0: the everything you said
1: <laughs> so yeah this is by bruno Catala, um who as you we, we talked we talked about him quite diffusely in the last um, episode and i stand by what i said i i love him he is uh i always want to try his games the games that i like i tend to to really like of his and I think this, together with *Abyss* and *Shadows of a Camelot*, is my favorite of his. And I know that you don't like him as much as I do, but that you still appreciate him from time to time.
0: Yes, yeah, he is my my ginger person. I'm intrigued, but I don't always like it. But um, yeah, so he he has quite a few things that I enjoy though. So
1: Clement Masson is is the artist. I had not played anything else by illustrated by him, which surprises me because Five Tribes looks incredibly beautiful, and so I would have expected him to to make a bigger splash. While he had he has like ten titles or so um, to his name, none of which seem to have had the great success. Um, So I hope that he gets to work on more exciting and, and newer. Um, So we should talk about the expansions So there are three
0: expansions for this game There are Five Tribes, the Thieves of of Nakala Which is the smallest expansion There is Five Tribes, the Whims of the Sultan And Five Tribes, the Artisans of Nakala
1: Do you own any of those? I do own the Artisans And I have looked into the others and decided they were not I really like Artisans. Artisans adds one sixth tribe, <laughs> despite the title, and adds and yet another tactic slash strategy. You can collect a different kind of special items that give you special powers and that you get through a different kind of nipple. So that's that's basically it. It also adds some movement constraints, an abyss, a tile that you cannot cross, and some mountains, so you need to go around. Which are, I think, minor additions, but that spice up the game and even further increase replayability. Mm-hmm. The thieves um, are just okay for me.
0: It's it's a very small addition. Oh, they even call it a mini expansion. Okay. And it's more to just like be mean to the other players, which I don't particularly care for. So I, I even though I own it, I don't think i really ever play with it um the artisans i don't get to play with as much because people are still when i play this it's usually intro advanced <laughs> game like they're they're people that have played you know a few games before so they understand how more complex modern games work but they you know they don't they haven't played this before or things like that so i usually don't get to play with that one um and then the whims of the sultan have different like little items, and those I think I actually play with a few times. And it adds the fifth player if you want to add the fifth player, but I feel like that would make the time between your turns excruciating.
1: Yeah, in the end, to 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 try and wrap it up, I first of all I don't feel like there are many games that do the same, not only on a mechanical level, which sure that's quite unique. You you remove the workers and reduce the options. But also on this feeling of being tactical not just in what you do, but very much in how you set up the movement for for the next player. It's something that is often in abstracts. For example, in Azul, when you remove stones, what you leave behind is important, but never in in a game like this. And so I feel that it's very hard for me to compare Five Tribes to other games. Nonetheless, I really like Five Tribes. I think it's an incredibly innovative game, not just for the time, but still today. It's a breath of fresh air every time we play it it has depth but you can also play it with a more casual attitude so it's good both for deep involved game sessions or for a family lighter fair it's beautifully illustrated components are not only very beautiful but also work very well in terms of usability and while the theme is uh, again more of a pretense than a necessity for this game it delivers this charming uh, feeling of A Thousand and One Night and uh, Sherazade and Camels and Aladdin and all of that. And it's a very immersive, uh, aesthetic experience. And I really like Five Tribes and it's among my favorites by Bruno Catano.
0: Yeah, I think that this game is very unique uh, to have in your collection. I think that it's a very solid game choice, like we said, for both the experienced gamers and people who are newer to the modern gaming hobby, I think that this game offers so much variability that you can think you know how the game is going to go and be very surprised by the choices that other people make and what options open up or close for you. So I think that that is a very solid game and it provides for a very different experience every time. So I think it's a highly recommended game from us. So check it out.
1: So in the future, are you waiting for, for any game? Are you excited for anything in the, in the near or far future? The
0: Board Game Geek Store released that they were doing a sale for the game tapestry
1: have you tried tapestry? i have not i think you'll like it but i purchased it <laughs> i i understood the the subtext of the sale on tapestry being <laughs> neon.
0: yeah they actually had a sale where it was they have little like upgraded bits through the board game geek store and so it was if you buy the game which was already very cheap comparatively you got the the
1: geek-up bits for free. What do they upgrade? Tapestry had already an incredibly good visual. Uh,
0: they upgrade the 20 achievement track tokens. And they give you five custom-molded uh, VP tokens. One for each color.
1: Okay. it's Not necessary, it's... but they're cute. <laughs> oh, no. They're cute, and the game is already visually stunning. And I will gladly play it with you again i can also teach it if you want i i decided that it wasn't a game that i needed to own but for example i always wanted anna to to try it i think you and anna would both like it quite a bit and it's very beautiful for me uh, i got very excited by the announcement of voidfall mm-hmm which is the new Mind Clash mm-hmm. game that is going to kickstart in 2022. So it's very, very in the future. <laughs> um, but it's supposed to be a Euro game for x expansion experience with with art by Mind Clash, designed by Turzi, among others. And I am really excited for that. We know very little about it. Although that clashes with another... Project So I have always resisted the, the lure of the 4X game. I own basically none, um, unless <laughs> you consider site that, and I don't think you should. The Twilight Imperium never clicked for me, Eclipse never clicked for me, Zaya never clicked for me, and things like that. There was another one that was on my radar, which is called Fractal, that will come to Kickstarter later this year, and I hope that by the time that comes to Kickstarter, we will know more about Voidfall, so that I can balance them. Although right now my my preference, based on on what I've seen, would have to go to Fractal. But the Mind Clash has an incredible track record, and Anachrony is fantastic. Tricarian, as you know, I don't love it as others, but it's still a very solid game. Mm-hmm. And so I I look forward very much to seeing what uh, what they come out with for this well don't specific. worry
0: i will get the most deluxe version of this game based on david turtsey and ian
1: o'toole alone fair enough i forgot the ian o'toole factor <laughs> that gave that you that that necessarily push okay so with that we can get to today's topic that when you came up with it it was yeah that's a that's a great topic and it's a modern classics and I thought, yeah, that's clear. And I will have, for once, I will have a, uh, an easy time figuring out which ones they wear. It wasn't so. <laughs> when I started looking, first of all, I had, I started with games that I like, that I consider, well, not only I like them, but I think they are well-established and, indeed, modern classics, which, while we don't have a strict definition, it must have some kind of Not just a game that you and I like, but some expansive effect on the hobby. People must play, people must own it, must be known and popular and all of that. Mm -hmm. And then I thought that beside these games that I, I figured, there are a bunch of others that I do not particularly like, but I cannot deny are now modern classics. Before getting into which ones we think we are, I was trying to wrap my head around why... Uh, we we talk about this this concept. Not just the two of us, but when you mention it, I didn't have to think about what do we mean or uh, why is that relevant. And I think that is not so much an historical thing. Like a modern classic might be something from 30 years ago, from 15 years ago, or from five years ago. But this, this idea of a game that transcends the curiosity factor and gets into a reliable experience that people share with each other i also noticed that they tend to be and they have only two exceptions that i want to submit and i will get to them later but they tend to be very easy in terms of rules mm-hmm. not necessarily easy to master but easy to teach easy to explain so in a way they tend to be more often than not play via ball by by a family but there are a few exceptions so how do you feel the 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 classics Shape themselves. Or, or do you consider something a classic? I think
0: um, within our hobby, there's a lot of sometimes looking down on like things that are gateway games or games that are lighter. And I know that I am one of one of those culprits that uh, sometimes will look down on the game. And I'm like, oh, well, that's so light. That's so. Okay, but then what do you do? (laughs) So I think that the modern classics are things that are are not only things that gain popularity, but that popularity is lasting and staying. Um, Having that staying power in our community is amazing. Because I, again, am very victim to this, but we are very much a, a culture of the new. Uh, if the newest thing is coming out and and that's one of the things that I see right now most being requested at um as for the info of, of Gen Con, not how is it gonna be held? Is it gonna be safe? What's gonna you know what's gonna uh what's the housing thing gonna be like no it's what games are being released at Gen Con 2021. So I think that that shows uh you know where us as a community, our priorities are. So, (laughs) so we definitely have this cult of the new kind of feel, but, but it's amazing when games have come out and they're still talked about and they're still relevant. And it's, it's kind of like a go-to game. If you have, no matter what kind of crowd you have, that you can go to this game and, and teach it easy, set it up easy. I think setup is another thing that makes it a, a gateway game if you're, because you need to get into the game quickly and so that that accessibility factor I feel like not only comes from the rules but also from the setup but uh, yeah I think that, that that's what I think about the modern classics
1: yeah and uh, it's interesting how in the end only time can prove it right there were a couple of games both of which I didn't love Actually, one of them I disliked, but that I thought, well, but they are indeed classics. Uh, one was Stone Age and the other one is Power Grid. And I have seen them in recent years wave a little bit in popularity to the point that Stone Age tried to, came up, uh, to come out with uh, a 10 year anniversary. Yep. And that didn't get uh, picked a lot. It is true that in the last year and a half, I haven't seen a lot of meetups or anything like that for obvious reasons. But even when we did before, I think that these two were propped as, as classic. People were looking for the new classic. I remember, especially with Power Grid, it was played a lot around, but then it, it got, in a way, replaced. I think that the people that used to be playing Power Grid are now playing, for example, um, Great Western Trail or terraforming Mars and things like that. And so I think that is often, while we're trying to talk about something that transcends the specific year or the specific moment, we are still uh, caught in a perspective that is necessarily grounded in our um, present. So among the many, again, with the exception of our grid that is now lost in, in the past, there are two games that I think are in undeniably modern classics and undeniably games that I don't care for. One is the aforementioned Terraforming Mars, which has taken the gaming world by storm and has been played constantly since it came out. It's spawning expansion, but people actually play it often. And I think it's probably the most complex of a game, of any game that I would consider a modern classic. Mm-hmm. With the, because I consider, for example, Soulkin, but Solkin is still very played, but only in specific people that always play things. While I have seen some casual gamer introduced to Terraforming Mars. And the other one is Azul, a game that I can stand, <laughs> but that I do recognize is incredibly accessible. Yes. It's uh pretty in its own way. It's not my aesthetic, but it's pretty in its own way. It's played a lot. Uh, It's played by families, played by gamers. And so those two were the two mentions of things that I uh, begrudgingly uh, and reluctantly admit that are modern classics. Do you have any that you see played consistently but that you don't like?
0: So I'm going to go out on a limb and say Azul is the monopoly of uh, of modern games right now. Um, I feel like... So I feel like that for a few reasons. One, I don't particularly like it either, but I own it. um, And I feel like I have to own it. And it's survived many calls of my collection only because I'm like, well, but people like it. But people like it. (laughs) So it survived. The other reason why I feel like it's the monopoly of, of our hobby right now is because they keep coming out with different versions and aren't they all the same? I feel I I don't know much about them, so I can't say that with certainty, but I I don't know how drastically different you could change this game to make it a game that I would prefer and choose over other games. So that's why I'm going to say it cuz it has the Azul, Azul stained glass, Azul, you know. I don't know, the other things.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel absolutely the same. Um, beside the ones that I don't like, others that I try to, to categorize differently are the ones that are classics, but that exudes a little bit from the fact of niche. They were designed to be uh, a mass-scale approach. Uh, two games that I really like, Codenames and Dixit. Mm-hmm. I think they are both definitely modern classics, but it's less of a shock to me because they are designed to be party games. And so party games are inherently accessible. And so once a party game is good, it is on its way to be a potential very widespread um, game.
0: Codenames is also wildly available um, in through different retailers that are not niche to the hobby Gaming industry, you can find code names at Target or newberry Comics, like lots of these places that don't specialize in niche in the niche market of hobby gaming, but they are wildly available, and <laughs> they code names is also the monopoly of. <laughs> of the time because they have Harry Potter code names and Simpsons code names and adult code names and um more adult code names <laughs> so it's like they just keep putting a different theme on it and don't get me wrong i actually really enjoy code names but it is a little disheartening to see them push the commercialism and yes i know that that's the whole point of the industry and that's the whole point of making games is to make money and be successful and blah, blah
1: blah to me it annoys i see what you mean but it annoys me less on a game like this where the game is i think it's brilliant but in its physicality is a collection of cards with names on it with words on it so sure you are calling it the disney thing but you're not really reading you are printing more cards with more words so it it feels less disingenuous than saying oh this uh, monopoly is now about this because we have added this small rule and like i remember growing up uh, i i once played a star wars monopoly Mm -hmm. and it made no sense not that monopoly is such a rich but at least you are buying properties and building houses on the properties. But when I'm buying Endor and buying Tatooine and building a Star Destroyer on it, it makes absolutely no sense, right? While Codenames works very well with retheming is just, they could have called it an expansion car set, right? It's just that you don't need the base game to play it. When I was trying to to figure out what um, modern classics are, one that came to mind is the difference between the perception of it being a modern classic and the actual data. Uh, We have access to limited data about games compared to what we have for other consumptions, but there are some games that sold a lot and that must mean something. And I was heartened by seeing that some of the games that I really like uh, have sold a lot so after Catan, obviously the granddaddy of modern board games that sold million of copies ticket to ride is often mentioned as having sold i think four or eight million copies among all of the mm-hmm. different things but there are other games for example th- in these few weeks uh, seven wonders is having a, a big celebration of its 10 years thing with the uh, quiz and prizes online and I was surprised. I read the number. I don't remember, but they also sold millions and millions of copies. And I like Seven Wonders a lot, but before reading that, I hadn't stopped and thought about how widespread and how successful that is. And it's, it holds the dubious title of most awarded game in history. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. But they claim it like not on a minor. Tag like it's prominent on the on the website like they really lean into it so they must have some kind of of claim to it um, because it's not a just a on off comment on on an interview is the most decorated game the most awarded game and I think that that's one that I really really uh, like that was that was on my list also you you had a, a specific list of 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 which ones you like, or did you...
0: I just tried to think of games that I thought have made an impact on the industry that are, like, the... Like, games that they've built upon that mechanism or that style of game, and that's kind of what I was leaning into. So Azul, like we said, was one of mine, because, again, because... <laughs> It's a classic and can't get rid of it. (laughs) Seven Wonders I had. Again, because it it is drafting and so many games have built upon that drafting. Again, I don't think it invented drafting or anything like that, but I do think that it it stripped it down to a place that's accessible for for a lot of people. Um, Another one that I
1: have is Splendor. Splendor is another one that I I have it also on my list. And for a few years after it came out, it was everywhere. And I mean everywhere. Casual gamers were playing it. Uh, But even there were people who would stop. uh, Abby, you were involved and play a quick round of Splendor. (laughs) I haven't seen it as much and I'm curious now that when we will get back to, to activity, whether that Pops up, but I know that is very, very play. It's played a lot by a lot of families. Uh, People like to play them with their kids. So it's one that might have gone a little bit off the being present on the tables at meetups and things like that. But I know that is being played a lot still. Ticket Ride, I think, still deserves it, not just for the sales. It's also a very accessible game, Um, it's the one train game that I like. I had king of tokyo which baffles me uh, because i find it enjoyable it's actually among these very popular one one that i don't mind playing but that i never understood what's so so different so new mm-hmm. but it's it's incredibly popular uh, garfield says that after magic is the game that he sold the most of oh wow and It came out with King of New York, they have expansions, they did a new edition, it's present at every convention, often with events and things like that, keeps selling very strongly. Again, I don't have access to number of copies, uh, but another one that I think has taken its own spot uh, without without so much caring about complexity or anything like that. Mm -hmm
0: i only play well not only but i mostly play in two players and that is why this game isn't even on my radar for that
1: reason no it's not meant to be played two players which i think it's another sense of it's a family game right the idea is you have four or five players you keep eating each other going back and forth i understand the allure of it i don't understand what made it such a permanent staple of it's still very much in print it's in in walmart it's Mm -hmm. very and that came out in 2011 and yeah you're right
0: it still does have like at gen con well the last gen con was
1: 2019
0: right so sad so At the last Gen Con, I do remember a big, you know, a big sign that it was very prominent. It was very, like, its own space. And it's weird to think about that, like, that this game, which came out in 2011, again, reminding ourselves that we're a culture of what's the newest thing, what's new that's coming out, that this still had a very prominent, large display is interesting to me. So it must be successful.
1: Another one that I think must be uh, mentioned, and I'm quite sure it was on your list too is Dominion Dominion is not only one that changed or created a new a new line of games, but it's incredibly popular it's on its twenty third adventure or something Yikes. crazy like that, and it still sells a lot it's the the base game is in stock everywhere they they ra- recently announced a new, brand new digital version with uh, apparently a, a very strong AI, uh, and people were very interested in that. The sales have never dipped, and while for me I like Dominion, we we played it together last year, and I play it anytime someone wants to. I prefer the use that has been done of deck builders and of deck building in games that are more recent but i still understand the simplicity of this is all there is you play your hand you use whatever the cards say plus you can buy cards from the display mm-hmm. and i i mentioned this before when it came out i didn't grasp the the, the the what was interesting when i heard about it we didn't even try it we were at test when it came out and since it was busy we decided well no this doesn't sound anything interesting you're just buying cards and putting them in a deck and instead it was it proved to be that simplicity that drives the game
0: yeah um so it actually was not on my list and i will tell you why i think that this game is a little too complex for what we've talked about as modern class classics and i think what would push it into a modern classic range for me you can you can buy a card and play a card, right?
1: Normally, yes, unless you have no. You you can play one action. You can play as many money as you want, and you can buy one card unless something allows you to change that.
0: So the thing that that is a little weird to me um, is the the playing of the cards. How you get extra plays with playing cards, and the thing that. That would push it into a realm of the modern classic for me would be if they had given those plays physical tokens.
1: Hmm. I can
0: see that because I think that that it gets lost very easily. Okay, well, how many can I play now? How many? How many times? And then people forget too. They've built out this lovely tree of, and then they're like, okay, well, I need to play this now, and you're like, nope, you're out. <laughs> you have no more plays, and they're like, what? So I think that, that that small change would have made it a little bit more accessible just because you would have a physical component to this like or even like a one for the play and one for the buy or you know little components that you could turn in for these things um, because I f- I do feel like it it has a little bit of abstractness that is not intuitive i do agree that it has staying power that it has you know like like you were saying the amazing amount of expansions and things like that so obviously i feel like it's just more of a popular game in the niche market than it is a modern classic so i don't know maybe uh people will disagree with me i'd love to hear what they have to say in the comments uh but you know i for me doesn't Doesn't exactly fit.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else on your on your list? I also had
0: Space Base.
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I can see it becoming um, a a modern classic, and I certainly welcome the fact that it replaces uh, Machikoro mm-hmm. And for me, Space Base is vastly superior. But I think. It's still in the, I don't know if it has reached anyone who's not in the, really in the hobby yet. Mm -hmm. I, I can see that happening, but I think it's, that's more of a candidate to become than, than that. And I feel that things are becoming much, much harder for games that are not party games, because we have such a glut of good games like space base i liked it i saw the the allure of a simple game but i don't hear much about it i also had well carcassonne i will mention uh, but i had a few that i think much like dominion they are classics in the hobby which therefore are not really in line with our with our description but one is Blood Rage. Mm -hmm. Blood Rage is incredibly famous and I think it's the most accessible of the fighting and things like that games. I think Small World had a chance of becoming and now we'll see with the new edition if it comes back. I know that in Europe is very popular and one that I wanted to mention for a hobby is Hanabi which I think moves between gamers and non-gamers alike it has sold a lot it's another game by bruno Catala, um, and i think that that's also is very accessible and showed cooperative games to to a bunch of people and uh, but yeah there are a bunch of games that are there that could be considered classics depending on what on what your line is also because sometimes there are classic In a category, for example, can something like a classic dungeon crawler exist? (laughs) Obviously, that will not be something that everyone plays. But Hero Quest was the classic dungeon crawler of the '80s. In modern times, what would that be? Probably Descent or something else. Um, So not
0: the new Hero Quest.
1: I feel I, I liked Hero Quest in his in day. I played it a lot. I was very envious of my friend who had it. But it is a game from the eighties yeah. and shows shows a lot. Um another one that I
0: thought of um and Scott would not speak to me for the rest of the week if I didn't mention it was Quacks of Quedlingberg. Oh yeah. I agree. I think that it is definitely It's, the success of it is crazy, and crazy in the sense that it's, I don't know, I just, I didn't expect it. Like, I had it, I knew that it was a fun game, but then it's just, like, had the staying power. And yes, it's only a three-year-old game, but people are clamoring for it quite often, um, looking for, like, little... uh, the Geek Up bits always sell out super fast on um, on the board game geek store, and it's very simple and it's a lot of fun and it's definitely something that can be easily played with the family. Push your luck style game that has a little bit of you know a little bit more than just a standard push your luck because it has different things, but um yeah i think that that's definitely one to watch out for
1: did it win the the spiel this mm. oh kenner spiel oh yeah so so that that shows how how far-reaching it is how popular it was and and all of that okay do you have anything else? I think
0: I I ran out. I have one more, but it's only because I I want to say it, and I <laughs> I don't know that it actually fits, but I want to say Resarcana. Eh. I know, but I I hope that it becomes a modern classic. We'll we'll say that
1: instead, because <laughs> I, I think that the the theme, despite the fact that we said that the theme is just a pretense, but I think the theme makes it a niche product. Yeah, um, think about. Ticket to Ride is trains. Carcassonne is people going around and Hanabi is fireworks. Yeah. Uh, Seven Wonders is a little bit of an exception, but even Splendor is gems while Rasakana is you have dragons and you have wizards. <laughs> and you have essence and uh, even visually it has, uh, and also it has, I think too many different components. Yeah. You have the places of power, you have the wizards, you have the artifacts, you have the essence and different kind of essences at that and while almost all of the other games we mentioned including blood rage have fewer categories of components uh, seven wonders just have cards dominion has only cards a ticket to ride that the trains and the cards and uh, uh, power grid at a few more but i think that the when the list of components lists more than four or five that's that tends to be a specific subset, and you know that is grounded. And don't get me wrong, I like Re- I like more than a lot, a lot more than a, <laughs> a, a, a lot of the games we mentioned. But I don't think it will cross that threshold. Uh, Quacks of Qualenberg might, yeah, because even if it yeah, it has a few rules. The basic rule is you draw a thing from the bag, and that's that's yep. it
0: so i think that brings us to the end of our episode so yeah we would love to hear what modern classics you are interested in or did we miss something or you know what would you like to add so yeah signing off as always thank you so much for listening please like subscribe follow um and check out our instagram page for future giveaways nothing is planned at this time but you never know I have sealed games on my shelf <laughs> that are staring, that are staring at me, that are screaming, "Give me away, give me away!" So it could happen at any time. You never know.
1: Uh, so <laughs> joining you as always was me, Nathan. And I'm Jackie. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Nathan, for another uh, good chat. And we'll see you in two weeks. Sounds good. Have a great time, everyone. Bye. Oh, bye.